The New Age Christianity Podcast is brought to you by... Hello, New Age Christian family. This is Austin Fletcher. You are listening to the New Age Christian Podcast, and this is episode number 28. So I hope you don't mind, but today I'm going to get a little bit personal, and uh, I'm just going to process with you guys. If you don't know already, Christopher Teasdale, who we've done some episodes with previously, recently passed away, and he was one of my very best friends in the world. And so today I'm just going to do some processing about what I believe to be the meaning of life and the human experience and some new revelations I've had, some uh, perspectives that I hope can help you and uh, maybe even some ideas that you've heard elsewhere, but I can reframe for you through a New Age Christian lens. So I am looking forward to this episode, although it's a bit heavy. (laughs) So I hope you enjoy and uh, let's get started. All right, guys, here we are, the New Age Christian Podcast. And if you are watching the video, you will actually see that I am not in my normal studio. You could probably hear a bit of an echo. I am actually on the road and uh, using a friend of mine's office, Jason Tonneson. Thank you, Jason. I am on the road for business and for a project that I've been working on. And I'm down here in Columbus, Ohio. And then I'm going to be heading over to a conference uh, this coming weekend in Floyd's Knobs, Indiana with Jamie Englehart and his ministry. If you haven't checked out any of his stuff on the epic.org, I highly recommend it. Um, He is a spiritual father to me, and I'm looking forward to spending some time with him this weekend. So by the time you hear this recording, it'll be a few weeks later. But uh, for those of you who are not aware, so Christopher Teasdale is a friend of mine who uh, we did some episodes, I think episode 20 and 24 maybe, or 23, were with interviews with him. And uh, as of the recording of this episode, I am just fresh off of experiencing a couple weeks of um, a absolute shocker that uh, Chris has passed away. He has breathed his last and it came kind of out of nowhere. He's been sick for a few months, and uh, he started uh, deteriorating really rapidly. And within five days of uh, being admitted to the hospital, he breathed his last. And so it's a bit interesting to sit down and try to record a podcast about spiritual things when, you know, as I'm sure you can guess, the emotional roller coaster is still going a bit. And it's not just. Chris, it is a lot of other things going on in life. And so today, the episode, I can't help but kind of just share with you guys where I'm at. And, you know, it's a bit vulnerable and I, I don't, don't know how how good this episode's going to be just because it's been difficult to give it a lot of thought. But really, I want to kind of talk about the human experience. You know, when death happens, it obviously creates a measure of introspection and especially, you know, Chris was 41 years old. He's got two little girls. He leaves in his wife. I mean, there's, you know, it's not like for whatever reason, and I disagree with this, but you know, with old people, we are expecting them to die. And as of right now in the human experience, that is the norm. But when younger people pass away, 
unexpectedly or even like in any way, shape or form, we know that younger people should not be passing away. And it creates an opportunity to examine a lot of things. The day after Chris passed away was my wife's birthday. So he passed away on April 8th, and uh, it was April 9th is her birthday. And so on Facebook, in one day, I saw a lot of people mourning Chris's death. And then a friend of mine, Arun Buldanchani, who maybe will be on this podcast someday, he was getting married out in California, and it was my wife's birthday. So literally in one day on my Facebook feed, I see death, wedding, and a birthday, And then even in the room, I was in the room the night Chris died, there was a five-month-old baby, Felix, who was all smiles and just this bundle of joy for hours in this obviously horrible scenario. And I told his parents, you know, I was just so grateful that he was there in the midst of that experience because it does provide a perspective that when one life is moving on to the other life, on one side, and on the other side, you have this being who has very recently come here from the other life. And if you notice, I don't call it the afterlife <laughs> because it's the other life. And that's just one of the perspectives that I've kind of settled in my heart that uh, I don't know where to start. Let me just start with like, okay, so if life is eternal, right? If you are an eternal being, and you may or may not believe that. I believe it. Obviously, Jesus came that we would have life and have that eternally. And I believe we always have, uh, hence the definition of eternity, that we are in God and always have been. But if life is eternal, and then let's say that we finally step into our place in the Godhead as being the body of God, which I'll probably unpack here in a little bit. So when we put on immortality... So now our eternal life is not just a mixture of going to the other world and back, you know, an idea of reincarnation or anything like that, but that we are here forever. At what does life become about then? Because let's be honest, right now, most of us live life for goals, right? I want to achieve something. I want tomorrow to be better than today. And therefore I have goals. But in some of these conversations I've been having with a lot of people in the last couple of weeks, as you can imagine, there's been a lot of them. And me being a teacher and me being a large part of Chris's community, a lot of people have been asking me, what do you do with this? How do you process this? And this is my process and I'm going to do my best to convey it. But if life is eternal and I'm supposed to become an immortal being, what is the point? Because if it's not about goal setting, you know, I love cigars. And there's a local cigar shop in Traverse City I absolutely love. It's my favorite place. Everyone there knows my name. I know all their names. It's called Nolan's. If you're ever in Traverse City, check out Nolan's. It's on Front Street. It's a great bar. And uh, it's a great place to go and have some fellowship. And that's my favorite thing to do. Anyway, so I use the example like, so what if I owned a cigar shop and I'm immortal? And this cigar shop is on planet Earth. And I am going to live for eternity. Think about that. At what is the point of owning a cigar shop at that point? Is it to retire? Is it to accomplish something? I mean, are you going to run that cigar shop for eternity? 
because to the best of our understanding and knowledge, at some point our star is going to explode and this planet will cease to exist and life will move to another location. So even that cigar shop, you can't own that nothing. You can't own anything physical for eternity. The only thing that you ever could would be your body, which would be immortal, which would be glorified. So you could own your body. You certainly can't own another person's body, right? So there's no ownership of other people. And so there's no ownership of things. There's no ownership of people. There's no ownership of goals at that point. What does life become about if you are literally going to live forever? And I would argue that at that point you realize life is about living. Life is about experiencing things. That life itself is the point. Now this kind of takes me into an understanding of God as a whole. To fast forward, and I will be at some point, man, with life being crazy, all the classes I keep promising and everything, I've obviously been pushed off, and there's still more coming, so I don't know when those will get there, but please have grace that uh, the intention is to still do classes and do deep dives into deeper things. One of those deep dives would be a teaching I call Origin of the Universe. In an Origin of the Universe, I explain through uh, pure logic, and it's a really fun class to teach. It's a fun product uh, concept to hand to people because you walk away realizing one, that God, the father is consciousness, the I am. You walk away, really, Jesus is logic, right? The substance of those beings, being spirit, they're all, you know, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, that those are the realities of spirit substance. And we are matter. We are the polar opposite of spirit substance. We are not everywhere. We are actually in one spot. We are not outside of time. We are actually inside of time. And so when you understand that we were made in his image and likeness, yet we are completely different from him, when he says Adam and Eve are in his image and likeness, he creates them male and female in Genesis 1. I did a podcast on this episode, an early episode of the New Age Christian podcast. So that Genesis 1, that we were created male and female in the spirit, but then in Genesis 2, that is when we were given a body. And it doesn't say anything about image and likeness when we were given a body, because God doesn't have one without us. So if we are his image and likeness, and our body is different, then something in our physical existence, I believe, is the point that it unlocks the meaning of life and it unlocks, more importantly, our role in the Godhead. Because we are God, right? It's just, how are we God? Are we, you know, I don't know everything. That is the Father's job. That is consciousness's job. That I don't know lots of things. And more than that, forget about just knowledge as far as facts and information. I don't know the experiences you had today. But consciousness does, Father does. So even if I lived for eternity and I eventually knew every language and every, I still haven't had every experience. I still haven't had every perspective on every tree and every, you know, so literally I am not the father. That is pretty clear. And therefore there is a way in which 
I am one with him and I am just like him, but I'm also not just like him. Okay. So distinctively, I would say if God in consciousness, if the father is the ocean and I am an individual drop inside of it, I have all the same substance. I have all the same qualities of the ocean. I have all of the core markers and identifiers of what the ocean is in this drop. Yet, I am not the entire ocean. But here's the deal. I have access to the entire ocean through the Holy Spirit, through the Spirit itself. That if I need the information, and this is where you get it, whether you call it the law of attraction, whether you call it prophecy and words of knowledge, whether you call it dreams, whether you call it intuition or inventiveness, all these things, this is simply humanity accessing this vast sea of wisdom and consciousness known as God through their individual expression. That's how prophecy works, guys. When I can access and freely have access to the Spirit of God, through the Spirit of God, to where I have access to anything I need to know. And I can't remember what verse it is. I actually looked it up very recently. But, you know, the verse that says, I has not seen nor has ear heard nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. Um, yet, if you keep reading in the New Testament quoting of that passage, it says, but we have been given the spirit of God that we may freely know the things given to us by God. So that we have access to anything we need to know. It doesn't necessarily mean you know everything. You just have access to everything. So if we are that part of God and it is our role to bring the wisdom and the consciousness of God into the universe, I would argue that I would argue that our role is something that God has not yet articulated. Otherwise, we wouldn't need to exist. Okay. And so Jesus says that there's a greater work to be done. And I believe this is the greater work that humanity, it is our job to figure out how to be God in the flesh. So... If spirit in the Father and Jesus are outside of time, then let me ask you this. How is it that when you are in all places at all times, how do you quote unquote experience living? Because experiences require a framework. Experience requires a beginning and an end. That's why you call it an experience, right? Experiences require them to not be something else. So in the world of consciousness or father and in the world of logic or son, Jesus, their ability to experience livingness isn't there because they am. So they are all things at all times, in all places. And so the differentiation of livingness is not their role. If you're putting two and two together, I would say it is our role as the part of God that is inside of time and is inside of space. As the part of God. So if you think about your mind, you can put your mind in anywhere at any time, in any place. There's nothing you cannot do in your mind. So you can put yourself on the moon mentally. 
You can put yourself in the center of the sun. You can put yourself on a planet that's never been discovered. You can mentally put yourself 2,000 years from now or 2,000 years ago. You can mentally create an entire galaxy in your mind. And so there is nothing that your mind cannot do. There is nothing that your mind cannot know. And there is nowhere that your mind cannot be. And that includes inside and outside of time. So your mind is the very manifestation of consciousness that is omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient. So I would say that your mind is your spirit. But now think about your soul. And think about your emotions. You can't feel happy tomorrow. You can think about feeling happy tomorrow, but you can't actually feel tomorrow's happy. You can't feel tomorrow's sad, or you can't feel tomorrow's tired, or yesterday's, or you can only remember and think, or imagine and think. Your feelings, your soul, your heart, are absolutely stuck in time. Now, if you're familiar with some New Age teachings around this, Eckhart Tolle, I know, does a book. He's a wonderful book called The Power of Now. I've just finished it through this. Uh, I recently did an episode on the Toltec wisdom tradition. Eckhart Tolle is very similar in that, and there's a lot of other communicators of those ideas. But uh, in The Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle would tell you that when you think about the future, you think about the past, that you're stuck inside of time, and that the now is the eternal moment. And I get the point of what he's saying in his applications. I actually loved every single one of them. But there is a distinction I want to make in this episode to say, I actually would flip what Eckhart Tolle teaches, that when your mind goes into tomorrow or it goes into yesterday, that that is outside of time because time has no restraints on you. But your emotions and your heart and your feelings you can't think anything but right now. And so that the very point of being the body of God and that matter being the soul of God is that we are always in the now. And that is the very definition of being in stuck inside of time and space. So that is the very definition of being matter. So spirit is outside of time and space and soul is inside of time and space. And so in you, as a being that has both, your mind is outside of time and space, and it is the spirit, and your soul is inside of time and space, and it is the emotions and the feelings. So here's the deal. When you consider that spirit cannot experience, because it doesn't have a beginning and end, and it's every, you know, it's all those things at one time, then where's the experience of being if it's not in right now. That right now you are experiencing existence. You're not experiencing existence tomorrow. You're experiencing it right now. And as this podcast keeps going, you are continuing to experience existence right now. That your feeling right now, you could be driving right now and a deer could run across the road in front of you and your emotions could spike and your adrenaline could spike. And from one split second to the next, you could go from being at peace to being really jumpy and nervous. That is experience. Now, you might be arguing and saying, well, okay, but I can do the same thing if I imagine it. And you're absolutely right. And here is the rub. If we were created in his image and likeness, 
And we were created to live and be the experiential center of God. And this is a very high concept. It's a very um, not easy to convey concept. And so I'm sure I will spend years trying to get better at articulating this. But this is where I've been at as I've been listening, as I've been meditating on things as uh, literally my best friend passed away two weeks ago or less than a week ago, whatever. That if we are the experiential center of God and that our job is to live now and to experience now and yet at the same time we are eternal beings, then there is a way that we must learn how to exist that keeps us ever present in the now. And when you go back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and you realize when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they reached outside of themselves to find their identity, right? As Satan tells them, or as the serpent tells them, God doesn't want you to eat it because he knows that when you do, then you will be like him, right? So they're trying to find their likeness in God as sameness when they didn't realize that their likeness in God is in the fact that they are God in a different way. As I do a teaching, it's on the website, newagechristianity.org, called God 2.0, that until God had a body in us and as us, there were certain things that God was not. But now, because we are have been made in his image and likeness, now the definition of God has expanded to include human experience and to include being inside of time and space and being limited to individual consciousnesses. Right now, roughly 7.7 billion consciousnesses around the world. And who knows about the rest of the universe, if there's aliens or whatever. The point being is that God... Now, God 2.0 is us. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we are the Father. I'm not saying that we are the Son. I'm saying that we are the body. I'm saying that we are the experiential center. And so, if we are the body and the experiential center, now suddenly things like Jesus saying, I only do what I see the Father doing, they make sense because... The hell we create for ourselves, and I believe this is in some of my Toltec podcast, the hell we create for ourselves on earth comes 99% from our minds playing the game of what we're not, what is outside of us, where that my happiness is tomorrow, that my goals are the thing that will make me fulfilled, and that my fulfillment is always in front of me, or in some cases for some people, my fulfillment was behind me. And essentially how I see it is that we're playing a game that we were not designed to play. That when we ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and we understood that certain things are make us happy, certain things make us sad, certain things are good, certain things are bad, that that is true, but that is the role of Christ, that he is the head. Right, that he is the mind and that we are the body and that the body's role is to only do what we see the Father doing, to follow Christ, that he would be the leader and that he would be the one to worry about tomorrow, that he would be the one to concern himself with where things are going and where the universe is going and that literally the role of humanity and its most enjoyable place is to be always in the moment, always in the now. 
because that is our job. And humanity has spent its existence, as far as we know, as far as recorded history goes, we have been trying to do God's job. We've been trying to do Christ's job of creating an external heaven. That's Christ's job. Our job is to recognize that the kingdom of heaven is within us. Our job is to recognize that take no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worries of its own. That you don't have to worry about what you're going to ask the Father for because he already knows what you have need of. Do you see all the ways in which Jesus is pointing us to, guys, your job as the body of God is to experience living. Your job as the body of God is to experience being, and that is always now. And if you can learn how to follow the Spirit every day in every way as an unfiltered and an unfettered, literally, body for God to live in, that you will find yourself exactly where you need to be every time. That there will not be a single step that you take out of out of step with life because you are flowing. And I used I had a conversation with Ronnie Harriman and his wife Anna uh, during this whole process. The I think it was the yeah, it was the day after Chris officially passed away. And they came up and spent some time with me and my wife for her birthday. And I believe it was Anna who brought up the analogy of a ping pong ball floating down a river. And I think it's a really, you know, because a lot of other types of balls, they're heavier and more cumbersome. But a ping pong ball is this super light, super easy to flow, um, small little ball that can go down a river so incredibly easy. And if it gets stuck, even the slightest little wave can push it off. And the slightest wind can affect where it goes on as it's sitting on top of the water. That literally this, and it's just stuck in my mind's eye, that the role of humanity and the role of your life is to become that ping pong ball following the flow of life that is spirit, that is God. Now, there's a lot of Christian concepts in this that I know have been bastardized through law and striving and condemnation. And so you might be hearing this and you might be thinking of things like the movies like The Secret and you're saying, well, no, my, the point of life is to be happy, to experience And God wants me to be prosperous. And absolutely. There's no part of me that is saying that you should be a servant with no power, no authority, no desires, and that you should just become some blank slate that doesn't care about what kind of experience you have in life. You know, the idea of this ping pong ball just floating listlessly down the water can feel a bit off-putting if you have come out of a religious system that kind of wants you to be that way. You know, just be a servant, be a soldier, and take up your cross and everything like that. Here's the reality. For the last 2,000 years, the idea of taking up your cross and the idea of dying to yourself has certainly been effective, and it's been a way to find yourself in this way of living that I'm talking about. There have been some amazing, amazing servants of God in the last 2,000 years that, I don't know if you're, one of my favorite is Smith Wigglesworth, where there's, I don't know if these stories are true, I just know, you know, the point remains. Like one story is that uh, he drop kicked a baby right in the tailbone to like fix its uh, scoliosis or something. 
And then another one is like some lady that could barely walk and was about to die. He punched her in the face, you know. And so if you've not heard those stories about Smith Wigglesworth or similar stories about monks, you know, using their habits to surf across the English Channel or whatever, like there's some crazy stories about servants of God who have figured out how to live this way that I only do what I see the Father doing, and I am the ping pong ball floating listlessly down the stream. And there's a certain powerlessness that religion has delivered with that way of being. But if you can you know, rewind this podcast and re-listen to what I'm saying, we are the experiential reality of God. That consciousness and logic that the Father and the Son cannot actually experience. <laughs> Just think about it. There is no beginning. There's no end. There's no framework for individual experiences. Everything is at the same time and always is. So if you wanted to experience being and you were God and you were the great I am and you wanted to define what that meant, how would you finish the sentence? You would finish the sentence by saying, I am God. And by definition, there would have to be something that framed what you weren't, right? If God is everything, then saying God means nothing, right? It's just, I am. But the moment you say, I am God, that has to mean that there's something that is not God or else God is, doesn't mean anything. If everything was light, then we wouldn't have a name for it. We wouldn't have a name for light if there was no such thing as darkness, but we know what light is because there's something that isn't light. It's kind of like the old analogy of like, it's trying to explain to a fish what water is, right? If you had a conversation with a fish about water, they wouldn't get it until you took them out of the water, right? So God is essentially, was essentially that fish in water until there's something existed that wasn't water. And that is matter. So spirit begets matter just as Eve comes out of Adam. That the realities of the other are found in each other and that God finds his reality of experience in humanity. And we find our reality of eternity in God. So what happens when we find that eternity in the form of physical existence? What is the meaning of life? To me, the meaning of life is to experience. The meaning of life is to live. The meaning of life is to flow with everything that is. Eckhart Tolle says it this way, and he, used, he talks about presence as being something that you have, that you have presence that is a, and it is about the present moment or the power of now. And uh, this isn't necessarily a direct quote, but it is certainly an, an idea I gained from Eckhart. It says that the measure of peace you experience in life is directly proportionate to your measure of presence. That the more present you are, the more peace you will have. And the more outside of time or outside of time where you're thinking about tomorrow or you're thinking about the past or you're thinking about things that haven't happened or think that is that your measure of dissatisfaction and your lack of peace begins to increase. So I don't know if I've done this on the NAC podcast, but there's an exercise I use. I gave it to uh, 
Chris's wife, Diana, during the days that Chris was unconscious in the hospital. She admitted that, you know, there was just so many thoughts going through her head, all the, all the what ifs, all the trying to come to grips with what's happening. And, you know, we do that, right? We're presented with these potential scenarios and we immediately plunge ourselves into the hell of imagining the worst. Or we plunge ourselves into an artificial heaven of hoping for the best. And <laughs> yet you can't hope for the best if you don't feel like it's potential that is not there. Anyway, hope versus faith. That's another discussion. But this exercise I gave her, it's called wide angle vision. It comes from grandfather and um, Tom Brown. So it is an exercise to be fully present in the now. And you can even do it while you're driving. I wouldn't suggest starting there, uh, but it's exactly what it sounds like in wide angle vision. And so imagine with your eyes, most of the time you're focusing on different things. Like I'm focusing back and forth between my microphone and my computer, right? But in reality, you have this peripheral vision that if you just kind of zone out of what you're focusing on straight ahead of you and you begin to look at the full field of vision you have. And so one of the things I do when I'm practicing is I'll actually put my hands up on either side of my body. So I put my arms up. And I get my hands all the way back to the farthest reaches of my peripheral vision. And then I kind of wiggle my fingers. And I can see, I'm not actually looking ahead, I'm looking at my hands. I'm looking at my fingers. Well, you do that. And obviously that's just a way to practice, I don't do that all the time. But if you go to wide-angle vision in the moment, and you don't focus on what's straight ahead of you, but you focus on the full field of vision, and then you also do that with your hearing, your sense of smell, your sense of touch, and even your mental awareness. That you go wide-angle vision right now in the moment where you consider your full field of vision, your full field of hearing, your full field of touch. Feel the clothes on your body. Feel the shoes on your feet. If you're driving in a car, feel the vibration of the vehicle. See the trees going by. Hear the sound of other traffic. Maybe that's not the best advice if you've never done this. That's what I do when I'm driving. And it is okay because you realize that when you're doing spiritual things like that, you'll find your subconscious mind is a way better driver than your conscious mind ever was. Anyway, so you go to wide angle vision and you know what happens, especially with your mental awareness where you hear. For me, the hearing is kind of the trigger when I roll into my hearing side of this wide angle vision exercise and I began to hear the slightest sounds that I wasn't paying attention to. It is impossible for you to think about anything other than this moment. If you're truly doing the exercise properly, you cannot be worried about tomorrow. You cannot be angry about the past. You cannot harbor unforgiveness. You cannot harbor pain. You cannot harbor fear. You cannot harbor regret. Any of those things because you're fully here now. And I would argue that in a very beautiful way and not in a simplistic, it just, I would argue that the role of humanity is to become that. That we are the experiential center of God. Now we have his mind for a reason and we are creators just like him. And so when you live in this moment and your heart and your intuition in that moment, the feeling and the emotion of the now, 
and you have this idea to create a company, which is, hence, I'm down here in Columbus primarily for a business trip. When you have this idea to create a company, then activate your mind and the divine intelligence you have to build and to construct and to invent. So there's another piece of this about the meaning of life and being in the moment. When you consider the mind, that if that is Christ's job to think about tomorrow, if that is God's job to be outside of time and to consider that your thought should only be for today, that your thought should need not be about worrying about what's going to happen, that literally doing what you see the Father doing, be fully present in the moment. If that is your job, and then in that moment you get an idea for a business, activate your mind and begin to create and invent and be intelligent about how to build a business or whatever. You know, a business is just one example. But here's the thing. If your mind is in charge, then you are living from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You're living from the tree of knowledge. And here's how you know. Can you stop thinking? Most of us would say, yeah, I can stop thinking for a couple seconds. Well, if you can't stop thinking on purpose, and all you get is a couple seconds before your brain kicks back in, you start thinking about your groceries and your kids and whatever, then that is all the evidence you need that your mind is in charge and you're actually a slave to your mind. That your mind is your master. And people say, no, no, I'm the master of my mind. You know, really? Because addictive behavior is things that you cannot stop. And what is the master to an addict? So you, when you realize you can't shut your mind off for more than a couple seconds, that is all the evidence you need that you are living out of the tree of knowledge. But where is the tree of life? If it's not in the heart, then I don't know where it is. That the heart and the emotion, the soul of livingness and life is the tree we were meant to live from. That if you live from there and you live from intuition, you live from that ping pong ball going down the river, and then you have an idea, then you turn on your mind. Now you're doing the same exact thing that the Father did in utilizing the power of Christ and the Logos to create. All things were created by him and all things are held together by logic, right? By Christ. But it says in 1 Corinthians 15 that Christ must rule and reign until all his enemies have been made a footstool for his feet. The last enemy to be defeated is death. And then he gives the kingdom back to the Father so God may once again be all in all. So let me tell you this. Logic slash knowledge is not intended to be your master forever. Let me say it again. Jesus is only God until. And then he gives it back to the Father. And so then if the mind and the logos ceases to be the ruler of your existence, then who then becomes the ruler of your existence, if not consciousness itself, life itself, the Father? And then at that point, your mind, your intelligence, your divine intelligence, it simply plays a role. It plays its role. And you activate your mind and you build your business or you do whatever you need to do. So I'm not saying that your existence should be thoughtless, but that your thoughts should be a tool, not a master. That you should not be addicted to your mind, but that your mind should be useful 
And that if you need to turn it off to be present in the moment, that you can. Now, there's lots of great teachers out there. Like I said, Eckhart Tolle, the Toltec stuff. Um, this is the journey that I'm on personally of how to, how, to, how to turn this way of being into normalcy. Where my mind doesn't rule me anymore. And here's the crazy thing, guys. In Revelation, it says that Jesus holds the keys of death and hell. The death and hell are literally the things that Jesus rules over. That logic, the day you eat of it, the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the day you die, right? Is that Jesus really is the ruler of death and hell. I'm going to let that one sit. It's obviously an interpretation, but it is, to me, it is absolutely true where you realize, oh my gosh, Jesus rules and reigns until you defeat death. And then everything changes. And so Jesus, even before he leaves, he switches them from being servants to being friends, right? He is certainly the king of kings and the wisdom of Christ and the logos and the mind that we have is absolutely beautiful, but it was never meant to be our role. It was never meant to be our master. So that when you switch, and this is as tangible and as simple as I can make it, when you switch from being ruled by your thoughts and living your life from your thoughts, and you switch to living your life from your intuition and living your life in the moment, when you make that switch, that is when you go from hell to heaven. That is when you go from the tree of knowledge to the tree of life. That is when you begin to experience the resurrection of from the dead. Now, I believe actual physical immortality is buried in this set of teachings. And I'm sorry if it got a little bit confusing or a little deep. I do know I did not lay a lot of groundwork for some of the things that I said and I'm just trusting that uh, whatever journey you're on and whatever things you needed to hear, you will hear. Given the energetic realities of, the, of my life the last few weeks and what is still to come, I believe, you know, <laughs> you'll have to forgive me in the sense of I'm doing a little verbal processing and some being a bit vulnerable in this episode because it's been a lot. And uh, I want to become that ping pong ball on the river. I want to be able to live freely and float with the Spirit of God. Those who are born of the Spirit are like the wind. You don't know where they're coming or where they're going. Wind, just like a ping pong ball, it works its way around every obstacle, right? And if it's a strong enough wind, it destroys obstacles. Either way, wind never loses. Nothing ever catches the wind. So are those who begin to live this life, that you would find yourself flowing through and around every obstacle freely. And that is, can you imagine a, a planet filled with humans who do that? That is a way better articulation of a perfect world. I did an episode, I don't know, episode 11, I think 12, um, Principles of a Perfect World. And it was more of a political episode, but I tell you what, this is a way better articulation of a world where everyone flows in the moment and in the now and that we're all connected to spirit 
and that universal consciousness and we're all connected to the mind of Christ and we are doing what we see the Father doing. We're taking no thought for tomorrow. We are not worrying about what we wear and what's going to, you know, that we don't toil. That verse is where Jesus talks about, you know, how the, or maybe it's a psalm, uh, the flowers of the field don't worry about anything. They don't toil. The birds don't freak out. They just live, right? How much more for you? So live, guys. If you're mourning Chris, if you're mourning anything, there's a lot going on these days. There's a lot going on in the world. And realize that the meaning of life is to live. And even death, for now, is a part of experiencing. And I can genuinely tell you, my primary energy the entire time in the hospital room and these entire couple weeks, my primary energy has been one of deep gratitude for existence. Sure, I've cried quite a bit, and there's certainly been some really shitty moments, but I am so grateful for existence. I am so grateful to be alive and to be able to experience pain and to be able to experience joy and to be able to experience existence. And I hope this episode has blessed you. Thank you for letting me process a bit and uh, share my heart. This is the stuff that I'm thinking about, about the human experience. And uh, what does it look like when you are literally eternal? What do relationships look like? What is profession? What does your profession look like? What You want to go become a monk for how many millions of, billions of years? Do you, How long do you need to be a monk? You know, what in the world is existence if it's not for the moment in the now? Because when all the goals are fulfilled, when all of the external definitions of your reason for being run out, what then? I believe the answer is to live. So live, enjoy it, embrace even the crappy stuff. Doesn't mean don't fix it, but realize that the point is to experience that you are God in time. You are God in space. You are God in physical form. And as you, he gets to experience, we get to experience existence. That's pretty cool. Thanks guys. I'll talk to you later.